You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Drought. Hello, my radio friends. I'm glad you've joined me today to hear more about life according to God's perspective as revealed in the Bible. No doubt you know about the fierce drought that has affected much of Australia in recent times. You may be aware of others in the past. When I was a child, a severe drought affected parts of South Australia, including where I lived, east of the Mount Lofty Ranges in the Murray Mallee. During the summer school holidays, there were significant dust storms. Without grass to hold the soil together, it simply was ripped up and blown away, thousands of tonnes of it. I attended school at Cambrai. When school started again at the beginning of February, teams of men with brooms, shovels and wheelbarrows had to remove about two centimetres of sand that covered the floor, desks and tables in the classrooms. This dust all leaked in through cracks between doors and windows and their frames. That was some drought. Drought, sometimes called famine, is not unique to Australia, and a number of instances of it have been recorded in the Bible. In a previous program, I've told you about a seven-year drought that covered Egypt in the time of Joseph. Some people regard natural disasters such as floods, earthquakes, drought and hurricanes as judgments from God. It seems that it is often the case, as the Bible records times of severe drought in Israel, sent because the people were disobedient. The Bible is quite clear that God is unwilling that anyone should perish, but he has allowed enemy invasions and drought to teach people that they have needed to reform from their evil ways and turn to him. Many of the prophecies of Isaiah, Jeremiah and the minor prophets are pleas from God for the people to turn from their wicked and idolatrous ways and turn back to worshipping and honouring him. Here's a little sample of God's exasperation with the people who were supposed to represent him but failed to do so. This passage comes from the book of Jeremiah, chapters 14 to 17, and selected verses. The passage is like a conversation between God and Jeremiah. Jeremiah speaks... The word of the Lord that came to me, Jeremiah, concerning the droughts. God speaks. Judah mourns, and her gates languish. They mourn for the land. The ground is parched, for there was no rain for the land. The ploughmen were ashamed, and they covered their heads. The deer also gave birth in the field, but left, because there was no grass. Jeremiah speaks. O Lord, though our iniquities testify against us, send rain for your name's sake. God speaks. Do not pray for the people for their good, 
When they fast, I will not hear their cry. And when they offer burnt offering and grain offering, I will not accept them. But I will consume them by the sword, by the famine, and by pestilence. Who will have pity on you, O Jerusalem, or who will bemoan you? Or who will turn aside and ask how you're doing? For you have forsaken me, says the Lord. You've gone backward. Therefore I will stretch out my hand against you and destroy you. I am weary of relenting. The people do not obey nor incline their ear to me, but made their neck stiff that they might not hear nor receive instruction. If you will not heed me to hallow the Sabbath day, such as not carrying a burden when entering the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its gates, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem, and it shall not be quenched. If you read through the Old Testament, it becomes obvious that the Israelite people, the people God chose to represent him, went through times of obedience and times of idolatry. God blessed the people when they obeyed, but allowed calamities such as drought to overtake them when they disobeyed. One of the things God highlighted was the keeping of the Sabbath, the seventh-day Sabbath, that is. The Sabbath, as outlined by the fourth of the Ten Commandments, was the day that was set aside to abstain from normal work and take time to honour and worship God. But the people used that day for themselves, instead of setting aside for, for rest and worship, and the Lord was angry with them, so much so that he punished them for the disobedience. The Ten Commandments are eternal. God is eternal, and the Sabbath is eternal. It is just the same today as it was back in Old Testament times. Nothing has changed. That being so... How do you think God feels when people disobey him and disregard the day he blessed and hallowed? How do you think God feels when people fragrantly keep another day than the one he specified and they make up all kinds of excuses for doing so? It should be no surprise that drought like pestilence and other troubles should happen as the people of this land, Australia, do not give much heed to the Lord or to what he says. In First Kings 16, we read of one of the Israeli kings, Ahab. The Bible does not have anything good to say about Ahab. He was a wicked man, and his wife Jezebel was equally wicked. Reading from First Kings 16, verses 30, 31 and 33, here is what is recorded about King Ahab. Now Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. And it came to pass, as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, that he took as wife Jezebel the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. And he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel 
who were before him. As a result of the sinful practices that became part of the normal life in Israel, practices that had the approval of the king, God needed to teach the people that he, not Baal, was in charge. You see, the idol god Baal was supposed to be in control of the weather, the seasons, and fertility. People would bring gifts and offerings to this idol so that he would be kind to them and bring prosperity in the land. Under Ahab's leadership, Baal worship flourished and the worship of the Creator God declined. In Habakkuk chapter 2 verses 18 and 19, God has this to say about such idols like, say, Baal. What profit is the image that its maker should carve it, the moulded image, the teacher of lies, that the maker of its mould should trust in it, to make mute idols? Woe to him who says to wood, Awake, to silent stone, arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, yet in it there is no breath at all. Here God points out that it is ridiculous to make some sort of ornamental figure and then worship it. It has no life, it has no power, yet gullible people worship such things. Baal had no more control over the weather, the rain, the seasons, than a broken stick from a tree had. Yet people worshipped and sought the favour of this lifeless idol to bless them. But worse than that, the people rejected he who could bless them. Well, the people of that time needed to learn a lesson. They needed to know who really brought the sunshine and the rain. So God sent a prophet, Elijah, to the king with this message. As the Lord God of Israel lives before who I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these three years except at my word. And that's from 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 1. And so the drought set in. The rivers dried up, the lakes dried up, the streams dried up, and most of the springs dried up. The people were desperate. Just like what has happened here in Australia, no grass grew and many livestock died. Food production ceased and any new lambs, kids or calves died. Everyone and everything was starving. But the people still persisted in crying out to help, for help, to Baal. In desperation, King Ahab sent out search parties to look for Elijah. When Elijah was eventually found, the king said, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? Elijah replied, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. 
Then Elijah ordered the king to assemble all the people of the land, including all the priests of the false gods Baal and Asherah, at Mount Carmel. On the day appointed, everyone was gathered together at Mount Carmel. There was to be a great showdown, Elijah representing the Lord God and 450 priests of Baal. We're going to stop here and I'll go on with the rest straight afterwards. Follow your leading and trust your design. In moments like these, I sing out a song. I sing out a praise song to you, Lord. In moments like these, I lift up my hands. my hands to So here we have a situation. King Ahab sponsored and fostered Baal worship in his kingdom. There was this terrible drought. And now Elijah had summoned all the people, including the priests of Baal and Asherah, on Mount Carmel 
where there was to be a showdown. You see, it was an issue of worship. Baal versus God. It was a test of power, a test of who indeed brought the rain and the sunshine. It was a test of who was the true God. Elijah proposed that a sacrifice be made. Upon two separate altars of stones, wood was to be laid on top of the wood, a bullock was to be put on top and killed. But the fire had to come from the God. The terms were agreed. Elijah said to the Baal worshippers, You go first. So they built their altar, laid the wood on stop, on, on top, rather, and then killed a bullock and laid it on top of the wood. Then they called on Baal to make the wood burn. They called and called, and but nothing happened. Then all 450 of them danced around the altar, yelling out to Baal, and even cutting themselves in the frenzy. Nothing happened. There was no fire, so Elijah taunted them. And we can read what he said from 1 Kings 18, verses 27 to 29 where it says, And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is meditating, or he is busy, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances until the blood gushed out of them. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. This went on from early morning until three in the afternoon when Elijah took over. He built an altar of twelve stones, had wood laid on the altar, had the bullock killed and laid on top, then had a trench dug around the altar, and finally, to everyone's surprise, had water poured over everything. Then he prayed, and you can read this in verse 37, Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God, and that you have, and you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then, whoosh, fire came down from heaven and burnt the lot, bullock, wood, water, Stones, everything. Verse 39 says, Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. The people recognized that the God of heaven is the all-powerful one. And because the people realized their mistaken belief that an idol has power, Later, that night, God made it rain. Now it happened, this happened about 2,900 years ago. But are there any lessons that can be applied these days from that experience? Well, probably yes. We live in a world that has become and is becoming increasingly secular.
people feel that they have no need of God. When someone loses a job, there is government social services aid. When someone gets sick, there's the free health system to depend on. We have reservoirs and desalinization plants so that there's always water available. We're not troubled in this country by war, so there are no worries, eh? Instead of going to church to worship, you can go to the soccer, the football, cricket or other matches. And if you don't want to do that, you could go shopping, watch movies or television. Instead of reading the Bible, people can read novels or magazines or newspapers to fill up their free time. So who needs God? I would like to suggest that there is a great drought in this land of my birth, Australia. There is a drought of the Word of God. There is a drought of prayer. There is a drought of obedience to God's law. There is a drought of understanding God's will for us as individuals and for us collectively. There is a drought of understanding that the day of judgment is coming. There is a drought of belief that Jesus is coming again. There is a drought of sincerely accepting truth as taught in the Bible. There is a drought in wanting to link our lives with our Creator and Redeemer. There is a drought of honest belief in God's Word. Because of people's self-satisfaction and self-sufficiency, and because they turn to their gods of pleasure and so on, could it be that physical droughts are being used by God to tell us something? Could what applied to the Israelites apply to us today? Could the plea uttered by God to his people, as recorded in Ezekiel 18 verses 31 to 33, be the words we need to hear. It says this, Repent and turn from all your transgressions which you have committed, and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die? I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. If you feel self-satisfied and are happy with those things that occupy your time, money and interest, those very things may be the bales, the idols in your life. Those things may not in themselves be bad, but we need to be aware of this important statement made by Jesus about what should be the top priority in one's life. It's found in Matthew 6, verse 33. 
Jesus said, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Translated, what Jesus said is that we need to put God first in our lives to love and obey him. Then there will be blessings and no drought. Let there be no spiritual drought in your life, my friends. Put God first, last and best in everything. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for listening. And until next time, this is Len signing off and wishing you God's blessings and peace. And why don't you join me next time for another Give me the Bible session. Walking down the road one day, a thought come to my mind. What if the Lord would come today and I was left behind? Would a cry don't leave me here? Please don't go away. If you just give me one more chance and I'll be glad to pray. One more chance, Lord, that's all I'm asking. If you just grant it, I'll surely for you. I'm through with Satan and heaven's on my mind, Lord. Just give me one more and you'll see someone new. Someone new